Hello, everybody. This is Jim Paris. We now go back to the archives to November of 2014 for this Jim Paris classic interview with author Chris Putnam, who, of course, went to be with the Lord in 2017. I find this to be one of the most fascinating and interesting interviews in our archives. I sure hope you'll enjoy it. And my guest tonight, uh, this is, I have to tell you, of all the years I've been doing interviews, you have your favorite books, and you probably shouldn't say on the air what they are, but I'm going to tell you that this is one of the coolest, funnest books I think that I have ever done an interview on. And I have been just reading this all week and dog-earing pages, and it's just fantastic. It's called The Supernatural Worldview, Examining paranormal psi and the apocalyptic and it's all about you know what do we as christians what do we think of all this stuff ghost hunting and haunted houses and these guys that say they can talk to your dead relatives and bring you messages back from the dead it's a fascinating book and the author is chris putnam and he's a really solid guy i don't want you to think we're going off in some weird direction here um he's got a master's in theology uh, he's also uh, got a certificate in Christian apologetics from uh, Biola University. I mean, this is a solid guy right here, and we're glad to have him with us. Chris Putnam, the first time with us here on Jim Paris Live. Hey, Jim, it's great to be on the show with you. Hey, thank you. You know, we've never met, but I just love this book, and I'm going to tell you the first thing I love about it. I love your adventurous personality because you're exactly like me and i feel a little bit awkward being a christian and then when i go into one of these towns like charleston or saint augustine or key west the first thing i'm doing is buying tickets for the ghost tour and my wife thinks it's weird and a lot of my christian friends think that i'm really crazy i don't know why i find that interesting but i'm glad <laughs> that I found a soulmate in you that you also find that kind of stuff really interesting as well. And you share that here in the book, uh, sort of your fascination with all of that. Uh, what, ha what is happening in your view right now in our culture? Because it seems like I think there's eight different ghost hunting shows. And then when you listen to Internet radio, everything is about either hunting ghosts, talking to the dead or chasing UFOs. Is this a new phenomenon, or am I just becoming more aware of it? Well, it, you know, it's certainly not new. Um, it, people have been telling ghost stories as long as we have written records, which is one of the uh, interesting uh, reasons to, to take the subject seriously. I mean, it's, it's not a new thing, but in American culture, all this, you know, television and the explosion of popularity in these things certainly is new, and, and that's you know, a key theme in my book is that I'm arguing that American culture is in a paradigm shift. And um, <clears throat> that's kind of a, a fancy way of saying that the worldview is changing. Um, a good example of what I mean by paradigm shift would be when um, uh, Copernican theory replaced geocentrism, when people started to understand that the Earth actually rotated around the sun. Now, this just changed everything in, in science, and really it's changed a lot about you know, how we see our position in the universe. So they call it the Copernican Revolution. Well, I'm calling what's going on in our culture now the paranormal paradigm shift. And you know, interestingly, you know, everyone who goes to college 
and, and in all our science classes and, and, and public schools, we're indoctrinated into naturalism, this idea that all that exists can be explained by atoms and the laws of physics and chemistry, and nature is ultimate. And, you know, that's been the dominant Western worldview, taught in the university anyway, probably for the last few decades. Um, now, what are we seeing, though? I mean, right now, you mentioned the television shows, but it's, it's, it's even more than that. I mean, you know, two decades ago, you wouldn't have ever expected that we'd have all these reality shows about people hunting ghosts. So that, that kind of indicates that on the popular level, this paradigm shift has happened. But some of the uh, polls and statistics that I found, like a Gallup poll from 2005, said 75% of Americans have some kind of paranormal belief. Uh, 37% believe houses can be haunted. And then here's the one that really got me. 21% of Americans believe that they can personally communicate with the dead. Wow. Well, that's pretty astounding. <laughs> yeah, that, that is amazing. And what I'm hearing more and more from people as I you know, just share my own personal faith with, with people, I'm hearing less and less talk about atheism. In fact, a person that might say, well, I don't believe there's a God, would almost, you know, people would look at them in a very odd way. That I mean, that's a very unusual person today. What you typically hear is, well, I'm a spiritual person, but I kind of believe everybody finds their own path. You have this rise of spiritualism where people aren't really identifying who they're following or what they're following they're just sort of following this tingly feeling that they call spiritualism and that really is probably more dangerous than atheism isn't it i, I think it is and that's that's basically that my trajectory in the book as well now interestingly when i got into apologetics and and, and these subjects it was around 2005 when i really started kind of taking it seriously and uh that was when The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins and God is Not Great by Chris Hitchens and Sam Harris's book, um, The End of Faith. Those, these books were all bestsellers. And, you know, everyone was talking about the new atheism, the new atheists, the new resurgence of atheism. And so I really kind of cut my teeth um, on apologetics dealing with these guys. I, you know, there were so many young people that were influenced by these books that. Uh, there was plenty of people to interact with, let's put it that way. So I, I really, it sharpened my skills. I learned a lot. Um, but from what I, my experience, atheists are generally pretty much sticklers for evidence and, and documentation and those kind of things. So they really, it really did kind of get me on my toes, uh, kind of sparring with those guys. But what I discovered is that atheists are really 5% of the population, a really small subgroup. And, you know, if you look at what, Christian apologists are doing, we're spending like probably 75% of our time as a group dealing with the new atheism, because they're the ones that are, are delivering the, you know, the sharpest critiques. But then again, if you look at the culture, I mean, I think we might be uh, kind of falling for somewhat of a diversion if we look at this in a spiritual warfare type uh, scenario. Yeah, uh, very interesting, on- very interesting point that you make, and, and that to me really is the big takeaway from this book is that it's not about atheism folks it's about this new age spiritualism and when we come back we're going to talk about an amazing story a car crash in california and did someone come back from the dead to actually help their own child 
All of that and your calls coming up soon right here on Jim Paris Live. You are listening to Jim Paris Live. All right, we are back. My guest is Chris Putnam. Check out the book. It's called The Supernatural Worldview. And Chris was also the co-author of Petrus Romanus and Exo Vaticana. Both of those excellent books, both sitting here on my bookshelf as well. And Chris, your book starts out with a story that I've read this story now three times and it gives me chills. It makes me want to cry. And yet I don't know what to think of this story as a Christian. It's the amazing rescue of Nick Skubish. Is is that pronounced right? Nick Skubish? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So I know it's a long story and there's a lot to it. Can you give us sort of the Reader's Digest version of this story? Because it's such an amazing story. And it really does raise a lot of questions, and I love the fact that you started the book with that story. Certainly. I, you know, I wanted to start the book with, with something that would grab everybody's attention and entertain them and sort of, you know, kind of get them into the book, but at the same time to challenge their worldview, um, and mainly for, for my Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, one of the, the issues that I deal with in the book is, you know, Christians tend to demonize everything we don't understand. So the typical answer for ghosts and a lot of this paranormal stuff is that it's all demonic. And I found that that's a little too simplistic. You know, a lot of times it is, and the Bible does warn about the occult and things like that, but sometimes we don't really represent uh, some of these cases very accurately when we do that. So I wanted to challenge everybody and get them thinking about why they believe what they believe. And so this story is about a young lady who had a car accident and went over a cliff and was missing for a whole week. Now, she died on impact, but her three-year-old son survived out in the desert heat. It's about 110 degrees or something like that during the day. We're talking about in the desert out in California. And, uh, you know, during this, this, this ordeal for Nick, who was the three-year-old son, um, there was probably five, six different paranormal phenomenon associated with this case. So what you're saying here, let me make sure that people understand this. Uh, the, the mother is age 24. She's driving her son, who's three. They go off uh, like a ravine or into a remote area. It's like one of these car accidents you read about where the people are in the car for days and days and days, and no one sees them. And she's dead on impact but the three-year-old is alive in this car that's hidden from the roadway. That's right. It was probably 40 yards down an embankment, kind of in a, in a gully uh, in the woods, you know, on, on a really sharp turn. So her, um, Christine's aunt, uh, well, Nick's aunt, it would be, um, knew that they were missing, and she got worried. And uh, she started having dreams. So this is one of the... The, the, the phenomenon that I handle in the book, she was having what I would call uh, an ESP dream. This is kind of the technical term that parapsychologists would call it. Um, so she she's had a vision, you know, that they were kind of telling her that there was a car accident. And the, the one that was more interesting happened on the third night while they were missing. She actually communicated with the dead driver, uh, Christine Skubish. And Christine told her that she was deceased, but that Nick was alive. Now, she had no way of knowing that other than this dream. So she actually had to rent a car and went looking for him. 
Now, it gets really interesting when you start uh, looking at the witnesses. So, you know, this car is way down in the gully. How'd they find the car? Well, this is the really fascinating part. There, one lady named Deborah Hoyt was just unrelated completely. Um, she was driving around the same road, and uh, she saw a naked woman standing on the side of the road. Uh, this was before everybody had a cell phone, so they, she drove to the next gas station and called the police. The police met her, and they went back to the, the curve. It's called Bullion Bend. I think it's a, a kind of a famous curve there on that highway. And there was no naked woman there. Uh, the, I think the policeman probably assumed that she was seeing things or something like that and, and just kind of dismissed it. That is until they got more calls the same night about a naked woman on the side of the road. Every in, time that, got, in that same location? Mm-hmm. Wow. And so this, so this is, a, you know, the only reason that anyone ever found him is that all these people were calling, you know, about this naked woman. And it, it really did appear to be like an apparition. It wasn't necessarily a solid woman. And there's kind of varying testimony, but different people. Uh, she did match the description of Christine Skubish, which is the really interesting part. She uh, pretty much to a T from, from what I've read. So the police finally started taking this seriously after the third or fourth call. And then the next morning, one of the deputies drove out to the, that curve and ended up finding uh, Nick. And so this was after uh, five days in the 110-degree uh, during the day heat. And uh, you know, how did he survive? No food, no water. Um, well, if you talk to Nick, Nick told me that there was two angels by him in the car uh, at night and then one up at the road. And he saw these angels, and uh, apparently he described them as kind of like silhouettes of light. He didn't really see any details of their faces or anything. They were just like light, pure light silhouettes. This is what the you know, three-year-old uh, reported. Now, he also, um, apparently, uh, Nick had a near-death experience, which they found out later at the hospital when they, the, the doctors told him that his mother was dead. He said, oh, I know that. I, I went to heaven, and I saw Mommy and Jesus. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so there's another, you know, another little um, addition to our list. So we have a you know, precognitive dream. We have ESP dream and after-death communication. We have the apparition on the side of the road that leads the police to the car um, with three witnesses, um, and then we ha including a highway patrolman. Well, he didn't see it, but he testified to it. And uh, then we have Nick's near-death experience, and then Nick seeing angels. So this is why I really wanted to use this case because I I'd really never encountered one with such a variety. Yeah, all of, of that phenomena. in all of that in 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 one case, and and mm -hmm. I'll relate this to a personal story i had some some family members and uh, this was a few years ago they were in a terrible car accident their car went off the road into a ravine at night and everybody was ejected from the vehicle and as they went in and out of consciousness they noticed a woman brought their baby to them that was was well away from them they were all projected out of the ejected out of the vehicle all all across this field and so when the emergency folks finally got there, it was quite a while, uh, when the emergency workers finally got there, they, they said, the woman brought uh, the baby to us, and there was no woman. And they mm -hmm. said the woman looked like an angel, and there was no woman ever to be found. That brought, And this was in a very, very remote area. And it was just 
it just gives me chills to even think about that story uh, even today. But like you said, what Christians will do is we'll just immediately say, oh, it must have been a demon. Well, wait a minute now. <laughs> would a demon really uh, bring a baby back to parents? I mean, really, would, would a demon in this story that he's sharing with us, the Nick Scuba story, would a demon really stay in the car with this child, taking care of this child for all these days? Amazing stuff. When we come back from the break, we're going to ask Chris to boil this down and tell us what we should really think about this as Christians. And what does the Bible say about things like ESP and talking to the dead and ghosts? All of that and your phone calls right after this. You're listening to Jim Paris Live. All right, we are back, and you really have to get this book. It is absolutely fascinating. The Supernatural Worldview, and the author Chris Putnam is with us. And Chris, so we were talking about this story, and like you said, it involves all those different elements, after-death communication, uh, you know, ESP, uh, the ability, uh, you know, the angels appearing on the scene, all, all these kinds of things. A another story of mine that I'll share quickly, and this was shared by my grandfather, and he would only reluctantly tell this story if we really asked him to tell the story again. He was a very humble man, worked in a factory, and this happened in the early 1950s, and this was in his home uh, outside of the Chicago area in the Chicago suburbs. As my grandfather told the story, he had an uneasiness while he was asleep, and they had four children, so it was my grandparents and their four children, which one of those children is my mother, so I guess in a direct way, I wouldn't be here today uh, if it were not for what happened this night. My grandfather had this uneasy feeling about two, three in the morning, and so he gets up, and he starts to walk around the house, and he walks around the corner and looks into the room where their gas heater was, and he sees two beings of light, and they're like seven foot tall, and they didn't really have any features. He, he just described them as seven foot tall beings, and they had their arms stretched out towards his gas heater, and he was just completely shocked to see this, but then his first thought was why they disappeared immediately when he saw them, and he smelled the smell of gas right after that. And he thought, why are they by the gas heater? And he smelled the gas and he went over there and the pilot light had gone out and no one knows for how many hours the pilot light was out. They would have all been dead uh, after they figured out what was wrong with this heater, that it was absolutely broken and no one could explain why the house did not fill with gas and everyone did not die. And that was my grandfather's one and only story along those lines. And he would never share that unless you really, hey, tell, tell the story again about the angels. But that still gives me chills to this day. And he would never, ever uh, make something like that up. He was just that, not that kind of a person that was in the early 1950s. Uh, so what are your thoughts about, you know, from this story you shared of the, the car accident in California you know, what do we make of this as Christians? Uh, because we're, I've, at least I was raised that all of this is demonic. You know, anything to do with communicating with the dead is demons and so forth and so on. So, yeah, this is such a unique case 
because I could handle so many of those phenomena just with that case. That this was why I picked it. So you know, look at the apparition. So you know, a lot of Christians will say that all ghosts are, are demons. They're all demons pretending to be humans to lead people astray, to give them a false hope, uh, to kind of promote this idea that everybody goes to heaven. Um, you know, the popular ghost theory is that. Uh, they have unfinished business or something like that. They can't cross over. They need some help to resolve some issue, and then they'll be able to go to heaven. Um, nothing about the gospel, nothing about salvation. Um, and so, you know, I understand why people want to be really cautious and, and why the first instinct for a lot of Christians is to, to say that the ghost thing are, are demons. But let's look at this case. I mean, the only reason that this three-year-old boy's life was saved was that witnesses saw the apparition on the side of the road. And, you know, for the life of me, I just can't figure out why a demon would want to do that. It just doesn't really make any sense. And just as a, you know, to kind of put a kicker on it, uh, in the process of writing the book, I contacted Nick and interviewed him on the telephone. And in the process of that, I said, Nick, you know, seems to me that that God went to a lot of trouble and now he's he's life. a grown up he's a grown up right. man now because this was in 1997 so I want to clarify to folks he was three at the time of the accident but now what would he be in his 20s now 21 22 something like okay. that right and so I asked Nick you know have you ever had, did he ever think about God and we got into that conversation and you know I asked him to read the Gospel of John and he did and uh, his response to it was really positive and I ended up leading him to Christ on the phone. Wow, um, that's fantastic. And so something really good came out of this. And I guess, you know, folks, if we're going to judge, you know, judge all these circumstances by the outcome, I mean, listen to that. I mean, here's a young guy who ends up uh, giving his life to Christ as a result of, of Chris having that opportunity to interview him. And I think, too, uh, part of it, and we're going to open up the phone lines here, folks, is to just say sometimes we don't know. I mean, sometimes we don't have really the answer about all of this, and that's something maybe we'll we'll learn someday when we're with the Lord. You know, we'll have an answer to all these things. But uh, very, very interesting, all kinds of stories like that in the book. Our phone lines are open right now, and I know a lot of you are going to want to ask questions, make comments, agree, disagree, 877-317-6432. If you're listening on a Sunday night between 9 and 11 Eastern, you are listening live. We're talking with Chris Putnam. We're talking about Christians and the Paranormal, 877-317-6432 is the number, 877-317-6432, or questions by email, and as always, please include your city in your question uh, so that I know where you're emailing from, jim at christianmoney.com, jim at christianmoney.com for questions by email. Uh, let me ask you before we get to the uh, listener questions, Chris. What about these two guys, uh, James von Prague and John Edwards? Uh, you know, I think that they're running a racket. That's my opinion because when I just watch them, it's like did someone with the first letter R, it, the first name starts with an R? Is that okay? What about the letter P? It's like they're playing Wheel of Fortune. I, I want to buy a, vowel, a vowel. And they, they, they eventually get the person to agree that they're on to something with their guessing. And then they continue to guess sort of an A-B choice that they give the person through a series of questions. 
What do you think about these guys supposedly talking to your dead relatives and telling you what they have to say? Well, they, those kind of popular level mediums, and that's what they are, they're, they're mediums, are um, really the, the chief purveyors of, of this popular ghost theory that I was talking about, that you know that people just need to resolve some issue and then they can cross over and, and, and all that sort of nonsense. And you know, they also promote this idea of universal salvation. You never, you never hear them say, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, your loved one's in hell. I'm not going to be able to contact them today. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, everybody happen. goes to heaven, right? Right, everybody goes to heaven. And that's what, you know, that's the popular notion. That's what everybody wants to hear. But, you know, our, our worldview says differently, and, and we have some really good reasons to believe it, uh, mainly that a fellow... Uh, rose from the dead after being in a tomb three days, and, and he's the one that talked the most about hell. Um, <laughs> if you don't know who that is, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Now, I would say my opinion of those guys, especially um, John Edward, I think that they are pretty much confidence men. I think that, you know, there's a lot of really kind of tricky techniques that you can use. Hey, and that could also apply to the John Edwards that lives in your area of the country as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so one of the things they do is they plant uh, Confederates in the audience. So with these shows, they tape them. There's a long line wrapping around the studio, people waiting to get in for the taping of the John Edwards show. Well, somebody, one of the skeptics, I think, wrote an article where they actually discovered that Edward will have you know up to eight, ten people in line that work for him talking to people as they're waiting in line and just getting all kinds of information from them. So, you know, they can radio him later and feed him names and all kinds of little tidbits that he can pull out of the air uh, from a little earpiece. Almost so, like uh, Chevy Chase in the movie Fletch, where he's the fake televangelist with the earpiece, with the earbud, getting all the, the cues from the uh, control booth. Really good information, and we're going to take a break now. Unfortunately, another break coming up here. But after the break, your questions. We're going to go right to phone calls, right to email questions, 877-317-6432, 877-317-6432, Christians and the paranormal on this episode of Jim Paris Live. Wanted to really explore this topic from a biblical perspective. Questions you are always afraid to ask your pastor about ghosts. That might have been the subtitle. Uh, you've got to get the book. It's The Supernatural Worldview. We're taking your questions in this last segment. I'm flooded with emails. But what I always do is I always put the callers on first. So if you want to call in right now, 877 877- 317-6432. We have open lines, 877-317-6432. And Chris, the first question, I think this is really more of a comment. This is coming in from Dallas, Texas. I'm not going to read the whole email, but the person is saying here that it's only in the United States that we're not familiar with um, things like demonic possession and so forth. He mentions that uh, in his past, he's traveled overseas specifically in africa these kinds of things are very common and people that live in that part of the world don't really think of this as unusual or something to question whether to believe someone could be possessed by a demon or not how big of a difference is there really between our culture and for example africa like this emailer is saying there's a huge difference 
and you know really these areas that you're talking about are the majority of the world so this this idea of naturalism is, is a, a western product of the enlightenment period the, the revolution the scientific revolution where we kind of you know the newtonian uh, physics led to this idea that the universe was like a big clock that god just kind of wound it up and it's winding down and we can use science to, to describe reality in total now when you go to the majority world people have a very um, lively and fully populated uh, view of the spirit world and one of the uh, scholars that I quote in the book, and there's a whole chapter really dedicated to this idea, I call it, well, he, his paper was called The Flaw of the Excluded Middle. Now, what he's talking about is Western Christians who are trained in this rationalistic kind of thinking uh, tend to exclude the middle realm. Now, what do I mean? Well, we live in the natural realm, and that's the, you know, the realm of science and just normal, everyday, predictable type stuff. This is where we live every day. But then there's this whole middle realm in the Bible, um, angels, demons, and this is where all your miracles and paranormal-type phenomenon would, would occur as well, uh, ghosts, anything like that. And then the upper realm would be God. And you know, as Christians in the West, we typically live in that lower natural realm you know, all, all week long, and then on Sunday we go to church and we worship God, we jump right up to the top level, and we really don't think about the middle realm very much. And we tend to just exclude it and become skeptics like the rest of the culture. And we um, take these uh, Bible stories and sort of set them aside as, uh, did that really happen? They all spoke in other languages, and it was like fire entering the room. And, and really, did Jesus raise someone from the dead? And really, did a blind guy get his sight back? I think some people, some Christians even today, say, well, you know, maybe that, maybe that really didn't happen. But if Jesus were walking around today doing those exact same things that the Bible said he was doing, I mean, what would we look at him as? I mean, as he'd probably have, they'd want to put him on TV with his own show because Jesus was the biggest purveyor, if you will, of the supernatural, wasn't he? Absolutely. You know, as God incarnate, you can't really get any more supernatural than, than Jesus. Um, so you know, the problem with this excluded middle for the Western worldview is that we don't give very convincing answers on some of these phenomenon uh, when we're dealing uh, in an area like Africa. So the guy, the, the scholar I was quoting is Paul Hybert, and he's a, a missiologist. Now that's just a, a fancy word for somebody who has a Ph.D. in missions, world missions, spreading the gospel to these areas. And what he noticed was that Western missionaries actually tend to become a secularizing influence in these cultures, um, and also they, they really are just completely unprepared for what they encounter um, when they when they come from the West and then all of a sudden they're just bombarded with things like demon possession and, and things of that nature, and they just don't know how to handle it. I mean, how many Christians, you know, typically on their day can, can do deliverance? Or yeah, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine what would happen today and just, like, take a modern church, like, take just maybe like a Baptist church in a, in a small town, and all of a sudden someone starts speaking uh, with a demonic voice, and I mean, who who knows what would happen? I mean, people are just not even prepared for that mentally. Uh, the email questions keep flowing in, so let me cl quickly uh, go ahead so we can get to some of these. So someone's emailing from right here in Florida, the Jacksonville area. 
they want to know if haunted houses are not demons then what are they and that's a great question and and chris you know granted i think some of these haunted houses are really not haunted at all it's uh, a, f- a friend of mine uh, told me that uh, a lot of the bed and breakfast uh, type places they actually will go up in the attic and rattle chains at midnight because it actually draws in more tourists if there's the perception that something's haunted but the truth is there are some very very compelling stories about really truly haunted houses and and what do we make of that as a christian well it's kind of a, a tricky question because you know, one of the things that I, I would caution against is this this sweeping generalization. I mean, I don't think there's any one answer to what haunted houses are. As you said, some of them probably aren't haunted at all. Uh, some of them probably are uh, inhabited by demons. You know, others might have some sort of strange natural phenomenon that causes people to hallucinate or, or hear things. Um, there are things that do that. One of them is really low-frequency bass sound, a really low-frequency sub-tone in the bass range. It's almost so low that it's hard to hear, but they found that it'll actually cause people to hallucinate. So there's all kinds of answers. So, you know, it's it's always a mistake to, to say that all something are this. You know, most of the time, those kind of generalizations will get you in trouble when, you know, the, the exception pops up. And so I would caution against that. And, I, you know, just to be clear, you know, when I'm talking about ghosts, you know, I'm talking about it in the dictionary definition being, you know, a, a, a human that without a body, you know, just a, a disembodied soul. That's all I mean. Uh, I'm not subscribing to the popular ghost theories. I'm not talking about haunted houses necessarily. I provide some, some cases in the book in addition to the Scoobish case. For instance, uh, C.S. Lewis thought that uh, his wife, uh, appeared to him, or her presence appeared to him when he was mourning. Uh, and then Lewis himself, apparently, after he died, appeared to the Bible scholar J.B. Phillips and encouraged him to finish his New Testament translation. So, wow. You know, so there are these stories from, you know, legitimate sources as well, and it's all in the book. And in our final uh, two minutes, I do want to get to this uh, question here coming in from Chicago. ESP. And I heard you on an interview. They want to know about ESP and whether that's inspired by the devil or whether it could be actually a gift that a Christian has. But I heard you on an interview on YouTube where you were giving a a scenario where people would actually uh, react to a a cue card before they saw the cue card. Uh, Tell us about that. Is is that ESP? And and, and what do we make of ESP for Christians? Sure. Well, parapsychologists call it general ESP, and that's kind of a blanket term that, that covers a lot of phenomena, because what they found is it's actually hard to prove which one it is. It could be precognition, it could be clairvoyance, it could be telepathy, um, it could be any of those. In fact, you know, they would all explain some of the, the things that they detect. But what you were talking about that, that I mentioned is called presentiment. That's just kind of a fancy word uh, for premonition. So, you know, I think all of us, you know, have probably gotten a bad feeling that we shouldn't go in to work that day, or maybe we shouldn't take this road, or, you know, those kind of feelings that you get. And a lot of times they turn out to be correct. Um, what they found is that, uh, it's really amazing, is that it seems that humans do access the future at least a few seconds in advance. Now, the experiment that I talked about 
uh, a, a scientist named Dean Radin out of the Institute of Noetic Sciences in California. It was a computer set up where it flashed a standard set of psychological images on the screen, and they're meant to evoke an emotional response. But what he found is that people actually anticipate the really charged emotional uh, photographs two to three seconds before they see it. And this is all hooked up to a computer with a random number generator. Wow. And I heard you share that story. That's amazing. And, boy, we are out of time. But, uh, Chris, we'll definitely have you back again. Fascinating interview. And this book, you got to get it, The Supernatural Worldview by Chris Putnam. Next week, it's Dave Ramsey's daughter, Rachel Cruz. In two weeks, L.A. Marzulli on the Trail of the Nephilim Part 2. It's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time.